0: So if you think about the number of companies we work on, half of them are going to be gone in five years or less. After we've gone through application process, after we've gone through evaluation of these companies, after we after we put our money and our time into trying to get them to be successful, we still lose half.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. In our ongoing quest to better understand what makes up the Western Pennsylvania regional economy and also gain a fluency in methods of fundraising, types of organizations, and interesting career paths that will help you make better decisions in your own career, today we feature Mike Matisic, the CEO and president of Idea Foundry. Now, Idea Foundry is a Pittsburgh based nonprofit economic development organization. One of their KPIs is creating jobs for the local community, but they also provide a number of services to support local startups in their own growth and success. There will be a lot of familiar faces and names if you head on over to their website and check out their portfolio of companies. Uh, Many previous guests like Anthony Venari from FIT, Ryan Gaiman from Citizen City, John Thornton from Astrobotic, and a few others that will be familiar and a few that are on my target sheet to eventually connect with and feature on the show. During this conversation, Mike gives a great synopsis of the genesis of Idea Foundry, where they get their funding, how they make their decisions, and what he's learned over his last 15 years of serving the community. I really enjoyed this. I think you will as well. So... Tune into this conversation with Mike Matisic. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you allowing all of our crazy equipment into your office and for you taking the time to start things off, Idea Foundry... It falls under this umbrella of tech accelerators, business incubators, um, enablers of commercialization, these kind of Mm. phrases that we might all be familiar with. But there's a lot of subdomains under that category. So can you put a little bit more color on what exactly you're doing here at Idea Foundry?
0: Sure. Although I would start with going up before we go down. Beautiful. Um, an overarching umbrella in what we like to describe ourselves as is a niche-based economic development organization. Okay. So an incubator, an accelerator are words that everybody puts a definition around. Right. Partly because they're pretty mainstream these days. But they may not necessarily represent the actual underlying model. And Idea Foundry does a variety of things one of which is to run an incubator, one of which is to run a series of accelerators. But that's not all of Idea Foundry.
1: Okay. okay. Good so far? Absolutely. But what what other uh, aspects of it?
0: So let's start with the overall mission of Idea Foundry is job creation. Um, job creation under an economic development umbrella. You put the question mark, well, where does, how does that occur? So an incubator or an accelerator might help take an idea and commercialize it, with the goal of creating jobs associated with that company. Mm-hmm. So that's certainly one of the things we do. But I'm going to go straight, way out on another end that says, why would we work on recruiting tourists from China, for example? Right. Which is another one of our programs. And that is ultimately because tourism employs a, a, a rising number of our region's uh, individuals. So the jobs associated with tourism are enhanced if we can recruit additional tourists coming from China. Now, of course, we're not doing that by itself either. That's part of a broader strategy of attracting investment from China. So if we're attracting investment from China and we're attracting tourists from China, maybe we're also attracting students from China. All three contribute to economic growth and job creation
1: locally. And so the other thing when I was doing the research was there's the Idea Foundry and then there's the Pittsburgh Regional Investment Center which mm-hmm. seems to be more oriented around that or is that That's the...
0: so that's a single purpose entity that was formed around a US government program which we were qualified to be the Southwestern Pennsylvania representative of that program. Gotcha. So it's a wholly owned subsidiary of Idea Foundry and we have a couple other subsidiaries which are really created for a purpose whatever their purpose might be. That's why that entity would exist. We are generally known as Idea Foundry and operate broadly as Idea Foundry with programs, program names, and entities as well.
1: So this gets to the essence of the creation of this show, which Mm -hmm. is that is a complex web of job titles and responsibilities and KPIs. Mm -hmm. It sounds really intellectually stimulating, How did you get started in this direction? Like how does how does one become the CEO of such an enterprise?
0: (laughs) Well, so we'll start with the creation of Idea Foundry, which which really was formed around a a very simple idea of post dot com era economic environment so the dot-com era of the 99s 2000s um it was a very crazy time um that significant amounts of wealth were being created during that period of time around what now has been known as sort of vaporware where things really weren't that solid but a lot of capital was flowing into the space and pittsburgh Living during that period of time, both the University of Pittsburgh and Carnegie Mellon University were at over a billion dollars in federal research, but yet Pittsburgh wasn't on the map for wealth creation during the dot-com era. And the idea for Idea Foundry was very simple. If there was ever another dot-com, we better be in a position to capitalize on it and attract capital to our region and growth to our region. Now, we haven't ever had another dot-com era, and people can debate, are we in another bubble in this sector or that sector? But let's just say the tech economy of our region has grown substantially since the dot-com era. So we didn't need a dot-com era to get the same results, which is to create a diverse economy employing young people in innovation. Gotcha.
1: And it started with that goal in mind, but has continued to evolve now. Sometimes... I I talked with different folks, and they maybe were one of the key drivers of getting an initiative like this started, the the initial funding for this type of entity. And then there's other times where other people have set up the structure, and then they need to pull the right person in to place on top of that structure. Were you driving towards this originally, or did someone else kind of pull you in? Mike, you were gonna be the perfect person for this.
0: It's both. So there were were five co-founders of Idea Foundry um, when it came into existence. And the chair of our board, really is credited with the idea for Idea Foundry and saying, you're all experienced business people. Why don't you give back to the community by helping others launch their enterprises? So it started with a very uh, simple idea of we better do something if there's another dot com. And two, what that something should be is about business people helping other business people. So in economic development um, and in the nonprofit space, oftentimes people are asked, "What what's the career path to take you there? And I know that was sort of uh, in, in your question before. But let's, let's look at it from the political science degrees, oftentimes end up in government. Oftentimes government ends up creating economic development programs. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to a nonprofit path, somebody that is passionate about public policy and maybe pursue an academic path in public policy to go to work for a nonprofit. What made Idea Foundry different then and still makes Idea Foundry different today is this was about business people helping business under a economic development and nonprofit model. Gotcha.
1: So the other large nonprofit associated or kind of occupies the space is Innovation Works on the other side of town. One of the questions I, I came in here wondering is, clearly there was this general initiative of getting these type of companies to exist in Pittsburgh to stimulate this part of the economy. Do you see yourself as someone competing with Innovation Works as, you know, we're trying to outdo them to some degree versus there's all these opportunities for collaboration?
0: Both. Okay. But, uh candidly, the the question uh, often is what makes you different um, than innovation works. Uh, we get that frequently, um, and there's also the question of resources. So, mm-hmm. in order to do our mission and, and live out our mission, we need the cash resources to employ our teams and invest in young companies. And so we're constantly fighting for resources which me which would make us competitive to other organizations in town that are fighting for the same resources. So the concept of a finite pie means there is a sense of competition amongst all of the organizations out there looking for their resources and putting their best foot forward to say why they should have those resources the not uh, really competing is that since we started idea foundry and innovation works predates idea foundry the the need has been pronounced the opportunity to make an impact means we could all do different things and still be contributing to the same goal. So where there is overlap, actual real overlap between Idea Foundry and innovation InnovationWorks, um, that's very collaborative. In general, there's enough to go around. The only place that's competitive is over resources.
1: Makes sense. Now, on the front of those resources that come in and fund an enterprise like this, People may be more familiar on the startup level. Well, if I bring on a venture capitalist, yes, I have more funding, but now I'm on that VC's path for how much growth I have to have and what the exit has to Mm -hmm. be to make this viable. If we get acquired by a private equity firm, they have their two-year or 10-year liquidity window that they have to hit. On this kind of more meta level of working with foundations, working with state budgets, what do the incentives look like from their purview, and how does that maybe differentiate you from Innovation Works further?
0: Well, so Innovation Works is is state of Pennsylvania backed primarily, right. so they receive substantial funding on an annual basis from the state. We do not get state of Pennsylvania funding. We're an independent organization, which has its advantages and its disadvantages. Of course. And our funding is from private foundations and earnings from the investments that we've made in our portfolio over the years, which our model from its inception back to business people helping business people is that our work and our efforts are not free. It just isn't for cash. So the work that we do and the team that we put around every idea that we're developing, um, they're not paying us in cash. They're paying us in paper. That is about as patient as it gets because, Mm -hmm. uh, as you mentioned, uh, VCs and private equity, they all have horizons for maturity. We do not. That's the benefit of the nonprofit status is that the grants we receive are gifts to us. We wouldn't continue to get the grants if we didn't perform with them. The performance is deploying that funding and making a material impact in an entrepreneur's abilities to be successful with their business and sharing in that success when they are successful in the terms of liquidity and repayment back to us that we
1: then put back out. So as we're walking up the stairs up here, I see the pictures of all the different portfolio companies on the wall. They're all the same size, but I'm sure that there were a couple (laughs) big winners from uh, the last decade and a half that you guys have been been around. uh, Who are some of the big Sure. Uh, windfalls, and and
0: there are many plaques not on the wall either, coming That's up fair. the steps, because the question. And I'm, I'm. Let's go to the dark side before we go to the upside, sure. right? So the dark side that we often get asked is about failure rates. So if statistically, within three to five years, eighty percent of startups are failed. Mm-hmm. What's our What's our failure rate? And our failure rate is forty to fifty percent. So if you think about the number of companies we work on, half of them are going to be gone in five years or less. After we've gone through application process, after we've gone through evaluation of these companies, after, we, after we've put our money and our time into trying to get them to be successful, we still lose half. So it's a very, it's a thankless job when you think about in terms of the failure, because every one of them is a, is a kid in the family, kind of mm-hmm. uh, as, as an analogy, and you want them all to be, to grow up and be successful. But, you know, just as children do, sometimes they're not as successful as you'd hope they would be. So we lose many, and people are surprised by that failure rate, but in reality, it's, we're reducing the failure rate by our efforts, And it's a subtle distinction, but a significant one in terms of why the failure is accepted. So, no matter what we do, we're still going to lose up to half of them. So, on the plus side of that equation, what are the home runs? And of course, everybody likes to talk about the home runs um, in terms of what's meaningful along those lines. And to us, a home run is a return of our money, a return on our money a job creation success story meaning jobs were created in our region and enough jobs were created in our region that even with a liquidity event or an acquisition we don't lose those jobs meaning a division of a acquirer gets formed or the acquirer just is local in terms of, of growing and one of the concerns for our region is not having enough acquirers so if you're in seattle there's tech companies as, you know, as, as, as large as Amazon, as large as Microsoft to acquire. Mm-hmm. But, you know, middle market tech companies in Pittsburgh are hard to find. So we have to grow our middle market in Pittsburgh or hope that our acquisitions lead to divisions of. One of our companies called Safaba was by no means a successful, big success financially, but it resulted in the opening of Amazon's office here. So the growth of that office, I think, is now over 100 folks already here from Amazon. If that startup didn't exist, maybe Amazon's presence here wouldn't exist. So to us, that's a win. (laughs) Because if if that office continues to grow, and I'm not talking about HQ2, I'm just talking about whatever they do from a research and development perspective here. Those are job opportunities created by a startup that was acquired and now grows here. And on and on. I mean, we know that Google's office here has acquired some companies along the way. How much of their growth was attributed to a startup? So to us, a success is all those levels occurring. And our, might as well get there, our greatest success did occur this calendar year. And that was the acquisition of Wombat Security. And Wombat brought a significant multiple on their investment, not just to us, not just to Innovation Works, but to angel groups in Pittsburgh as well, which to us is the icing on the cake. Because if investors get their money back and make something on investment in these young companies, they're much more likely to do it again and to attract other investors to invest, which helps the significant number of startups we have be able to attract
1: additional capital. It's a virtuous cycle. Um, I'm curious. So associated with the Wombat exit, and I've spoken one one guy in particular, Dave Cristello at Jetpack Workflow, mm-hmm. talked about where there's the phenomenon of these large acquirers in a region, but there's also the successful teams, not just the CEO, but the, maybe the executive team at a place like Wombat that have gone all the way to acquisition, have seen all the forks in the road, mm-hmm. and can be valuable mentors for mm-hmm other founders and executive teams in the early stages. And given that you've been around for 15 years, I'm sure that uh, when you talk about those services that you provide, the support that you provide for your portfolio companies, what that looks like now versus what it looked like in the early years oh, yeah. has evolved tremendously. <laughs> yes. So what are some of the things that you provide and you're able to offer portfolio companies now that wasn't just on the tool belt in the early years?
0: Hmm. So the, the, one of the most striking differences is the entrepreneurial culture, the change in understanding that entrepreneurship is part is a vital part of our region's economy. In when we started idea foundry, um, there was a certain level of pushing away startups as, you know, you're, you gotta be a vulnerable company. You can't be, it can't really have anything to offer me as a big company. Um, and, and it still exists somewhat. To this day but we have a lot more acceptance that startups can make a difference and all of the media coverage that has occurred over the last 15 years has significantly risen which has resulted in more and more people understanding that maybe a startup can do something more than um than you think they might be able to do so one it's the, the most significant change is the culture around here which means doors are a little bit more open whether that's a big company opening up their door to a, a sales opportunity or uh, to, to buy a product or service from a startup. It might be investors that say, you know, maybe there is something to all this versus what it was like 15 years ago. When it was a couple handfuls of people. They were it. They wrote big checks, which was helpful, but we didn't have that kind of culture of entrepreneurship. That has been significant in just in the way we operate, because in those early days, we were very, very active in business plan competitions, sponsoring and supporting on-campus business plan competitions to raise awareness of entrepreneurship as a, as a path. Now, The universities are loaded with activities, uh, whether it's a major in entrepreneurship, courses in entrepreneurship, cross-campus activities around entrepreneurship, competitions and prize money is just dramatically different than what it was 15 years ago.
1: Makes sense. It sounds as if all of the resources here, because you're taking a financial stake in the companies, it's all on some sort of track, whether it's towards acquisition or IPO or these growth strategies. What do you think about the other current of, I don't categorize them as lifestyle entrepreneurs. It's just companies that aren't fundable. They don't fit that model. Does Idea Foundry provide resources there, or where do you point them?
0: Well, and and since our inception, one of the things that made us different was that we had much more modest job growth criteria in our selection. So those rapid rise, high growth companies where you're looking at hundred uh, thousands of employees um, fit the VC venture funding track very clearly. But without those acquirers, we ran the risk of basically sending people away because if they needed that kind of capital and it wasn't available here, guess where they were leaving? They, guess what they were doing? They were leaving. So from our inception, we included bootstrap as a viable category for startups different than lifestyle. So you say lifestyle and I twinge a little bit because (laughs) that's one of our evaluation criteria for a slower growth or low growth business. We have to make a distinction. Is it really a lifestyle or is it a bootstrap? Meaning it's going to utilize revenues and other resources that don't require liquidity pressure to get somewhere. And as long as that somewhere is where any other business might go, which is as large as they possibly can go then they're not a lifestyle they're a bootstrap business and one of our most successful companies was a bootstrap based company that resulted in over 100 employees locally so it was far from a lifestyle business now i can tell you those two entrepreneurs were very very successful when they did ultimately sell the company but it was structured to be a long-term low-growth solid employment business model and we'll take those all day long Very different than a lifestyle business. And lifestyle businesses are wonderful small businesses, but they don't necessarily live up to their job-creating potential, which is ultimately our mission. So
1: that's the the balancing act we do on that front. Speaking to a balancing act, you've you've brought up the job side now a couple times. And I'm curious, I'm I'm sure it's not formulaic. It it has to be to some degree artistic. But when you're either sitting on a board or mentoring some of these companies about the teams that they're building – um, like, do you have a prism through which you evaluate, well, this could be done by two people versus one, maybe like higher paid, higher skill person and how that view changes given that that is a, a KPI for a unit Absolutely.
0: organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, it was idea foundry was founded on the principle of business people helping business people. So there is a inherent conflict with good business and hiring more people. Uh, it, it just is. So if you can get by without hiring somebody and, and expand your revenues to where the revenues are big enough, then you can hire somebody. The answer is going to be don't hire anybody. Right. So our, even though our mission is job creation and the success of the enterprise yields job creation, we can't impose job creating uh, artificial requirements. Business has to be business. And so uh, oftentimes or even the companies we're working closely with, they're going to hear, yeah, well, uh, if you can't sustain their salary for six months without raising additional capital and it's going to take you nine months to raise capital, guess what? Don't hire anybody right now. So in, in the early stages of a business's success, we're not seeing the job creation that we want to see and the job creation that we're here to facilitate. It is nearly five years after our help before we really see the job creation. And that's out of the ones that survive. Makes sense.
1: Well, this has been really informative. I I think this is a really valuable perspective for the audience on another arena in this broad tech startup uh, landscape, Mike. Before we ask our last two questions, I just want to see if there's anything else you're hoping to share today that I didn't give you a chance to. Well,
0: I I do. It's related to what we just uh, mentioned a little bit about lifestyle business because I want to draw a distinction between lifestyle business and small business. Right. So the bootstrap... There, There is a growth story. It's just within their own abilities to achieve that growth. We launched a program earlier this year called Equitable Entrepreneurship, and it's the first time we were able to do something I've wanted to do for years, and that has helped create small business. So in small business, and I'll give you the numbers at which we evaluate by, small business is five jobs, five years. Okay. So those are family sustaining jobs. So the small business sustains a family of the owners and of the key individuals working in that company. That's great. Lifestyle is it's really not sustaining anybody. It's helping to offset cash needs on a short term basis. So adding the equitable entrepreneurship this year gave us the it was the first time we've actually been able to go into the small business world and and provide the same tools and assistance that we do for high growth companies and bring it into the small business area and target it towards minorities and immigrants. In very broad terms, you can self-select if you're a minority or an immigrant and apply to that program. And just after doing one cohort, we're seeing the demand is just continuing to rise in that front. So it's not the high growth and our investment is much lower in, in the lower growth companies. But distinguishing between small business, lifestyle, and bootstrap is a core Idea Foundry
1: focus. Absolutely. And I think it's just so valuable to even have that vocabulary firmly in place because, you know, you said you twing, but some people could be offended by one of those titles. Absolutely. And really understanding that is just a, a valuable part of it. Yes, Beautiful. Well, Mike, this has been great. I want to make sure that people can check out all the stuff that you're doing in the digital world. If you go to the website, there's just a massive list of portfolio companies that you can keep scrolling through. Uh, But what coordinates can we provide people want to learn more?
0: Uh, Really just ideafoundry.org. I mean, we have the other social media platforms covered, but frankly, our website has the broadest, deepest content to describe what we do, how we do it, and when we operate, how we operate.
1: Cool. Uh, we're gonna link that in the show notes. going dot com slash podcast is the place to find it for this and every episode of the show. But as we do at the end of each conversation, Mike, I want to give you the microphone a final time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience.
0: All right. So yeah, you did you did prompt me about this one in advance, and uh, frankly, it was a, it was like, where do I want to go with this thing? So I'm going to go somewhere that's fairly personal to me. It's relevant across the spectrum of what we talked about. And it's the word enough. And ask yourself, is it enough? Because many times people have asked me, what is, who's wealthy? Who's rich? And I'll use the word enough. Are they wealthy financially enough so that pursuing additional wealth has a diminishing return attached to it? Are you healthy enough? Are you active enough? Are you loving enough? Ask the word enough and put it in almost any sentence. Because what I see with, whether it be young folks or old folks, it's this relentless pursuit of something that they really can't define, but they're just not satisfied with what they already have. And entrepreneurship is based upon disruption. But when you actually peel back the layers What's it for? Where was it going? Are you making enough impact? And so
1: I challenge the audience to think about the word enough in their lives. I love that. Can you talk about a time where you asked yourself that question and it meaningfully changed a behavior or a part of your life? You have another hour? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe just a minute? Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, a minute. So you asked earlier, how did I get into all this? Um, let's just say there was a very conscious decision in my life to go work in a nonprofit environment giving back to others because of the experience I had as a 30-something senior executive of a public company where okay. I was the chief financial officer of a public company and learned what greed really is and seeing how greed can destroy families. We had 800 employees, and based on the greed of an individual, we were down to 100 employees. Wow. Wow. So, I saw greed firsthand and I saw what it can do to an organization. And so, choosing to get out of a corporate world and work in a nonprofit where I'm salary driven, uh, I don't have the equity upside of being an
1: entrepreneur myself, but it was based on this word, enough. Beautiful. Uh, powerful note to wrap up on. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you. We just went deep with Mike Matisic. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Hit that subscribe button if you have not already subscribed to the show. We have new episodes every week featuring game changers, influencers, entrepreneurs, and power brokers that will increase your fluency in the world of business and make better decisions about your own career. If you want to turn the dial up on that learning even further, then mark your calendar for March 23rd, where we will be hosting the second Going Deep Summit. The first was a smashing success with over 100 people in attendance tons of impressions across youtube and other social media platforms and most importantly a fantastic event where a community of people came together to connect with one another give up their saturday to learn grow and be inspired we're going to run it back do it bigger and better this time so get your tickets now goingdeepwithaaron.com event is the place to learn more i'll see you there
0: Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.